this week on Hope for the Broken. Jesus says that he is the door. We can choose to go through Jesus the door, but there may be false doors that often entice us to walk through their paths under the pretense of promising life, gain, and fulfillment. Those doors, beloved, always lead to death and destruction. The temptation is real, but there is a door by which we receive blessing, and that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called I Am. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part three titled, I Am the Door. We are in the middle of a teaching series that we've entitled I Am. We're taking a look at the seven I Am statements of Jesus that are all contained in the Gospel of John. This is week number three of that sermon series. And so we have taken a look at the fact um, that Jesus is the bread of life, that he's the source of true, fulfilling life. Last week, we discovered how Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And not only is he the light of the world, but he dwells within us and we become lights to the world. Today, the third I am statement of Jesus is I am the door. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 10, and we're going to work our way through the first 10 verses of John chapter 10. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have considered the types and numbers of doors that you walk through on a daily basis? Probably none of us. We rarely take into consideration the vast number of doors that we walk into. There's doors at our home. There's doors in our cars. There's doors in our workplace. There's doors at school. There's doors at the store. Doors are everywhere, and they come in all shapes and sizes, and they're made out of all kinds of materials. There are wooden doors. There are iron doors. There are metal doors. There are glass doors, and there are wrought iron fences and gates, and um, we even have doggy doors, all right? We just installed a doggy door for our dog, Jax. It took him a minute to understand what it was, uh, which was humorous to watch, but now he has his own door where he can go in and outside all on his own. And while we rarely take into account the times we walk through doors, we certainly realize that they are vitally important to us, right? Like we lock doors, we unlock doors, we lock doors to keep intruders out, we unlock doors to let friends in. Uh, it, it's, it's, the, it's the, the vehicle by which we uh, regulate who comes in and out of our homes. We, we even have alarms on our doors. Uh, for our safety and for our security, that if an unauthorized person makes entrance, that an alarm sounds and sends a message that uh, that somebody is in the house that should not be in the house. How many of you, you get in a car with your family, you're going someplace and and you get down the, the street, you get uh, to the, to the where you're going to make your first turn and and you ask, did, did you lock the door? And to which they say, well, uh, yeah, I locked the door. Wait, I don't... 
Actually, I don't know if I locked the door. What do you mean you don't know if you locked the door? I mean, you either locked the door or you didn't lock the door. Well, I can't remember. Did you lock the door? No, I didn't lock the door. So what do you do? You turn around and you go back to make sure that the door is, is locked. It's, it's secure. Doors and gates and alarms are important. We understand that in our culture. They serve a purpose. They're for our safety and for our protection. They're for our sheltering. They offer a peace of mind in a, in a world that presents many different dangers Uh, doors provide a sense of security and safety. They're designed to keep the harmful out and let the good in. Well, Jesus says, I am the door. And some translations read, I am the gate, but it's the same word. It's the, the same idea. And just as we realize the importance of doors in our day and time, Jesus is using this statement to draw us into a deeper understanding of who he is and what he came to accomplish and also what it is that he provides for us. So today we're going to take a look at the statement in two ways. We're going to take a look at the illustration and then the application. That'll serve as our outline here this morning, illustration, application. So let's begin by looking first at the illustration. And when I talk about the illustration, I'm talking about the analogy that that Jesus uses. He says, I'm the door, I'm the gate. He talks about a sheep pen and, and he sets the stage uh, amongst a, a people who understand what it is that he's talking about. And uh, in a Western world, we may struggle to understand this illustration a little bit. But what I want to do is I want to read the first six verses and then begin to explain this, this illustration that, that Jesus is using. Read with me in your copy of God's Word, verse 1 through verse 6 of John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now this figure of speech, or this analogy, this illustration, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. This is a very powerful, powerful analogy. And and we live in a world and a day and time where we don't fully understand uh, this. I know some of you are... Uh, you, you tend to animals, like you show sheep, you keep sheep, you uh, prosper them, but, but that's not my calling, that's for sure, right? And so uh, it takes some work on my part to understand exactly what is happening here. But even if you do tend to those kind of animals, the way in which the Middle East did that in the first century world is very different than the way in which we do that here today. And so I want us to understand the backdrop, the totality of what is happening here, as it will cause this illustration to leap off the page and for us to fully understand what Jesus is saying here. There's several things at play. First, the Bible often correlates God's people to sheep. God calls you and I, those that have placed faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, his sheep. Psalm 100, verse 3, says it this way. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So when Jesus is talking about sheep, He's talking about those that follow Him. 
Now, sheep are dumb animals. How does it feel that God looks at you like you're a sheep, right? It's the analogy of it. It's the analogy of it because shepherds were, serve such a vital role in this relationship with sheep that, that God uses it as a powerful illustration. Secondly, what makes this statement, I am the door, powerful is what is happening when Jesus makes this statement. The Jews are celebrating what is known as Hanukkah. Now, you probably remember or know that word, Hanukkah, right? Um, but you may not know what it commemorates. Hanukkah was celebrating a very specific event. In 333 BC, which is known as the intertestamental period, because, and it's known that way because at the close of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, to Jesus' birth, there is 400 years of silence. And so God did not reveal himself in any kind of special revelation during that time period, but he broke the silence with a baby's cry and a major, Jesus, when Jesus was, was born. And so 333 BC is within that 400 years of silence known as the intertestamental period. Well, in this, in this period, in, in AD, uh, or BC 333, a man by the name of Alexander the Great had conquered much of the known world at, at that time. And a part of that known world was Palestine, was here which Jesus uh, was operating. Now, what had happened is Greek influence, because Alexander the Great was Greek, uh, Greek influence had permeated every aspect of the culture of Judaism, including uh, the priest. Many of the Jewish priests acquiesced to the leadership and compromised their long-held convictions, and they became very corrupt. In fact, one expression of this that church histor- historians tell us is that they would often take items from the temple, sell it, and then pocket the money for themselves. You're talking about a very corrupt religious leadership. And, and many of them were, were participating in what was a very dark time. They were no longer in ministry for the people, but for the profit that they gained. Now, at that time, there was a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus. And he led an Israelite rebellion against the corrupt priest and the government. And he reclaimed and restored the temple. Hanukkah is the remembrance and celebration of that event, of looking back, of reflecting upon how they had gotten to the place where they were in in such a very dark time period and what it took to pull them out of it and to reclaim the temple. And it's in this setting, it's during the course of of Hanukkah that Jesus says, I am the door. Why is that significant? Well, one of the traditions during Hanukkah was to read the prophet Ezekiel, in particular chapter 34. And so I want to read to you a portion of Ezekiel chapter 34 as it sets the stage here of what Jesus is going to claim. Beginning in verse 1 of Ezekiel 34, it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, meaning the prophet Ezekiel, and said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Well, who are the shepherds of Israel? It's the religious leaders of the day, the priests prophesy and say to them, even to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Yet you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, and the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled 
them. You see the corruption that the prophet is is foretelling that was ultimately fulfilled in the way in which the priests were operating in this intertestamental time period. Now skip down to verse 10. It says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep, in other words, my people at their hand to put a stop to their feeding the sheep. In other words, I'm going to remove these corrupt priests. I'm going to remove these corrupt religious leaders. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves, but I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. So when Jesus at Hanukkah is using this picture, this illustration of sheep in a sheep pen, he is very intentional in drawing the people's attention back to Ezekiel 34. And essentially what he's saying is he's saying this, he's saying all the priests that are before you, all the Pharisees, they've returned back to corruption. They're seeking their own personal gain. They're no longer interested in leading the people. They're interested in lining their pockets. And Jesus is calling them out and he's essentially saying, I'm the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. All the others are thieves. All the others are robbers. They're trying to get into the sheep pen by another way, but I am the door. Again, this is a claim to be God. This is a claim to say, not only am I God, but I am the salvation by which you come into the sheepfold of God. This is, this is the backdrop. Now, in addition to this being the celebration of Hanukkah going on, we also have the method by which Middle Eastern shepherds of first century, uh, of how they led their sheep. There were two different types of sheep pens or two different types of sheep folds. And Jesus is making reference to both of them in our passage of study. In verses 1 through 6, he's talking about what is known as the village sheep pen or the communal sheep pen. And in verses 7 through 10 and 7 and actually following past 10, Jesus is making reference to the countryside sheep pen. Now, that's going to be important here in, in just a moment. But in the first six verses, he's talking about the village pen. Every single major village would have what is known as a communal sheep pen. And here's what's happened. Shepherds would lead their flock into the village after having been out in the countryside, and they would lead them to this communal pen. And they would lead them to the gate by which they enter this pen. Now, the shepherd would drop their staff and would inspect each sheep. And he would look for parasites, and he would look for injuries and scratches because he did not want to infect the other sheep in this communal pen or nor did he want uh, there to be a way for them to be infected by something and so he inspected each one and then would raise his staff and let one in and then do that one at a time until his entire flock was brought into the communal sheepfold there was then a gatekeeper there at the village sheep pen that would keep watch over the flocks at night so the shepherds would go into town into the village to get whatever supplies they need maybe rest overnight and then they would come in the next day excuse me and the gatekeeper would allow the true shepherds and only the true shepherds to come back in and this true shepherd would call their sheep he would maybe have some sort of a call or something that the sheep would recognize and then they would one at a time line up and follow the true shepherd out of the gate but all those that were not the true shepherd, the sheep that did not belong to that particular shepherd, stayed put. They didn't recognize the voice of the shepherd. So Jesus is saying this. All other would-be shepherds are not real shepherds. 
They're trying to sneak in. They're trying to come in over in another way, not through the gate, to mislead the people, mislead the sheep. But he's saying there's coming a time when the sheep, the true sheep, will not recognize the stranger's voice. See, because a true shepherd does not have to sneak in. The true shepherd comes in by way of the door and he leads his sheep. He leads his sheep out to pasture where they enjoy provision and they enjoy nourishment, physical but also spiritual development. Now we learn in chapter, in verse 6, that the Pharisees, the people Jesus is addressing in this passage, they didn't quite get what Jesus was saying. Look again at verse 6. This figure of speech, this illustration, this analogy, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And here's the truth. Make no mistake, they knew what Jesus was talking about. They understood because it was a part of their everyday life. They understood it. But what they failed to see is because they were blinded to see the truth of what Jesus was revealing to them. And so, so Jesus is doing some incredible teaching here. And so he continues the illustration. Verse 7. So Jesus says again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here in verse 7, Jesus shifts the lens from the communal pen to the countryside pen. How do we know that? Well, verse 4, the true shepherd calls his sheep, and then what does he do? He leads them to pasture. So now the, the camera has panned, and now we're, we're zooming in on the, on the countryside uh, pen when Jesus says, I am the door. This has all kinds of co- powerful connotations. The village pen had high walls with briars sticking out of it to prevent would-be thieves coming over. It would have an actual gate that could be locked, but the countryside pen was very different. It was more rustic. I brought a picture of a Middle Eastern country sheep pen that I want to show to you. You see, it's a, a circular uh, type uh, structure. It's made out of stacked stone that is actually not that high. And there is an opening there by which the sheep would come into the countryside sheep pen. And then the way in which the sheep pen was controlled by who could come in and who could come out is the, the shepherd would actually become the literal door of the countryside sheep pen. And what he would do is he would actually lay down in front of it, and anything that would come into that sheep pen had to do so over the shepherd. This has all kinds of connotations for us today, doesn't it? Jesus quite literally lays down his life, and it is through him by which we gain access to God's sheepfold. We become his sheep. We become believers. We become uh, children of God. And it is only by way of Jesus. Now notice, there's only one entry, right? And so Jesus is in effect saying, whenever I'm the door, I'm the only door. There is no other way by which you gain access to this sheep pen. It is only through me. And so he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus would protect his flock from any would-be threats and he would stand guard over them. Not only does this mean that our salvation is secure in Jesus, 
But it also means this, that wherever Jesus leads is for our good and for our flourishing. He leads us into these lush pastures. And John chapter 10, verse 10 clears that up for us. He says, I've come that you may have life and life abundantly. So this is the illustration that Jesus used. This is the time. This is what's happening behind the use of this powerful analogy. Now let's look at the application. Talked about the illustration. Now let's answer the question, how does this apply even to us today, 21st century believers? Now there might be a gazillion different ways that you could interpret this passage, but I want to just mention two for us here this morning. Two points of application. First is this, know who you are following. Know who it is that you are following. If there's one thing that I as your pastor could could share with you, it would be this, know who you're following. And you ought to follow Jesus. In verse 1, Jesus tells us that there are those in the world that would seek to lead us astray. He says in verse 1, truly, truly, as if Jesus has to say whatever he says is true. I mean, it's automatically true, right? It's coming from Jesus. But he's drawing emphasis. I want you to press in here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And not only does Jesus warn us that there are those that are thieves and robbers, but he warns us of their intent. In verse 10, he says, the thief, the robber, comes in to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the intent of pseudo-shepherds, false shepherds. But Jesus is different. He is the door that regulates that, and he is the truth by which we apply whatever, whoever it is that we are following. Jesus is saying there are there is leadership even in his day that preyed on the sheep rather than fed the sheep. In other words, there are those even to this day that pose as pastors, and I wish it was not so, they pose as pastors, but they're in it for the wrong reasons. Their motives are impure. There are two reasons and only two reasons by which anyone should be in ministry. Okay? And by the way, I, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm pointing the f- fingers back at me, right? What is my motivation? What is, what is the heart behind ministry? There should be only two reasons. Number one, to exalt Jesus and to feed the people, to care for the people. Any other motivation for serving in ministry makes that person a false leader, a pseudo-pastor. And again, it is scriptures like this, and it is other scriptures in the pages of the New Testament, especially one in James that says, Beware, brethren, y'all shouldn't, y'all shouldn't seek to teach so much because those who teach will be judged, what? More strictly. And so I, I approach the position in which God has placed me in with much trembling. And, and here's the truth, beloved. I No, I am a fallen, sinful human being, capable of error, capable of corruption. So I'm asking you, know who it is you're following, and don't follow me, follow Jesus. And here's a very practical sense of how this works out. This is what I want you to do. Never take what I have to say as absolute truth. Instead, you take it, you line it up according to God's word, and whatever is in error, you throw it out and you hold on to God's word because only this is the source of true life. 
Okay, so you got to know who it is that you're following. The books you're reading, the podcasts you listen to, the spiritual leaders you lean on. Jesus, he's the door. In other words, he's the measuring stick by which truth is revealed. Credible information come into our lives. We, have, we live in a world where we have access to all kinds of information. But just because information is available, and even if it's packaged nicely, does not mean that it is truth. There is only but one source of truth, and it is the Word of God. Here's a, here's a practical question to ask yourself whenever you are listening to either a podcast or even to myself or in, reading any book. This, this is what I want you to ask yourself. Is the person I'm listening to, is the person I'm reading, teaching biblical truth or just catchy phrases? Because there's a difference between the two, right? Not to say that creativity and delivery is bad, because that's actually good. It helps us to hold on to information, to apply information. But if all it is is just catchy phrases and there's no real source of truth in it, it needs to be thrown out. Listen, God desires for us to be fed spiritually. God desires us to be led into green pastures. But there are robbers and there are thieves who would seek to lead you in a different road that ultimately leads to destruction. So my urging in light of this passage is this, know who it is that you are following. Second application is this, choose the right door. Be careful to choose the right door. How many of you in here, you remember the game show, Let's Make a Deal? Anybody remember watching that? I remember uh, in the summer, man, I was like a Let's Make a Deal junkie, and I would watch it all the time. For those of you that don't know, you're missing out on the greatest television that has ever been aired on our television screens. Let's Make a Deal. And in this show, contestants would have the opportunity to be able to take what they have and trade for something that might be better than what they currently have. And at the end of the show, the final contestant would then stand before three major doors. And behind one of those doors was usually a new car, right? Or something like that, or a great vacation or something. But behind one of those doors was like a donkey. Like, what am I going to do with that thing, right? And, and so, so you had this, this possession and you could make a deal. You could say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trade this in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a chance to win that new car. And you would then select a door. But here's the deal. <laughs> a couple of those doors would lead to less than. But only one door had the really good prize. In, in much the same way, and as imperfect as that illustration is, we are in a similar position. Jesus says that he is the door, right? But there's got to be false doors. Like, right, we can choose to go through Jesus the door, but there may be false doors that often entice us to walk through their paths under the pretense of promising really good stuff. We're often enticed by doors that promise life, gain, and Fulfillment. Many times we're tempted to trade in what we have to get something better. But in the end, those doors, beloved, always lead to death and destruction. Our tendency is to walk through the door of success. To walk through the door of beauty or relationships or pride or even the door of materialism. I feel it, don't you? 
I mean, the temptation is real. The struggle is, is real. We're tempted to walk through those doors. But listen, those doors only lead to death and destruction and disappointment and dissatisfaction. But there is a door by which we receive blessing, and that is through the only true door, and that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we walk through Jesus, the door, as we place our faith and trust in Him, as He is the source of what is true and right and good in our life, then and only then we receive blessing from Him. And blessing is not what we always think it is, by the way. Uh, Blessing can be a variety of things. Blessing ultimately is expressed in the very presence of God himself in our lives. Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things, all these provisions will be added unto you. Be aware of the door that you and I are tempting to walk through. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.